Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is the final OIS Podcast of 2016. We've uh, had a terrific year. We're uh, very grateful for the time you spent here with us talking to the leading KOLs, investors, and CEOs in ophthalmology, and uh, just uh, the opportunity to, to I, I really love my job. I've got the opportunity to speak to interesting and motivated and, and, and inspirational people every week of my life. So uh, I'm very grateful to you for listening because it gives me an opportunity to uh, to do a job I love. So uh, enough of the sentiment. I just wanted to, to, to share our regards uh, during this uh, holiday season. Unfortunately, though, we're ending the year on a uh, on a down note. On Monday, of course, uh, Off the Tech released its uh, its clinical trial data, phase three clinical trials for Vavista. It uh, had two of them, and uh, they were very disappointing. I'll uh, I'll ask you to refer to the article in the Ion Innovation Newsletter. My colleague Rich Kirkner put together a great write up. About uh, what the, the about the results and about the impacts on Optotech and uh, its partners with Favista. So I direct you to uh, to look to the Ion Innovation Newsletter. If for some reason you don't get it, you can go to ois.net and read it there. And while you're there, you might as well sign up for the Ion Innovation Newsletter because it's worth getting in your inbox each week. But obviously, this was a devastating blow for Optotech and and for ophthalmology. I mean, there was a a great deal of optimism around uh, the Favista trials, uh, at least hopefulness, I should say. Uh, Regeneron obviously reported its, its uh, negative 12-week results in October, uh, and there was a hope that because uh, Optotech was uh, was approaching or targeting a, a, a different pathway within PDGF, that uh, that it would be uh, the re- the results would be different, but they weren't. So uh, that's uh, a lot of negative news in one clinical area over a very short period of time. So it has a lot of people asking questions, not only about uh, what this means for Optotech, but what this means for the PDGF-targeted uh, therapeutics in the space, and uh, somewhat more broadly what it means for wet AMD, although there's clearly a lot of uh, other programs in that space, and it's, uh, it's a dreadful disease, so it's something that's going to be focused on for a very long time. But I've spent the last two days uh, talking with analysts and CEOs and KOLs uh, in ophthalmology about the news, and uh, we'll have some of their views here. Uh, we'll we'll talk to uh, a few uh, CEOs who uh, who are taking different approaches at, at Wet AMD, and uh, we'll talk to some analysts both covering uh, covering Optitech and covering uh, others in the space, including Regeneron, which uh, which may be the uh, the biggest beneficiary of, of this news, if there's if there is such a thing. But uh, one thing that everyone has has spoken to is that this is really um, uh, devastating news for the patients who have wet AMD. Uh, there is uh, there is a need for more. Uh, there are a lot of patients who continue to suffer, and uh, we can talk about clinical trials and investments and things like that. But at the end of the day. Uh, those are really the people who are going to hit, who are going to feel this the most, and uh, that was a theme brought out uh, by everyone, uh, Wall Street uh, physicians. It's a, it's a, a universal feeling. So, 
So we'll uh, we'll take a look at this from many different directions, but we'll do so uh, without losing sight of the fact that uh, wet AMD patients are the ones who are really taking the, to hit the hit here. So let's uh, let's get into um, our first uh, conversation. It makes sense to go right to uh, the source, right to Optotech. Uh, we're going to hear from Dr. David Geyer, CEO and chairman of of the company. We didn't talk with him directly. Uh, they're obviously busy. Uh, they received the news on Friday. And uh, after the market closed, spent the weekend looking at the results and held a very short and very somber analyst call on Monday. And uh, we'll uh, just let David sort of sum up the feelings of Optotech's management. Thank you for joining us. We saw the unmasked data from both of the Phase three trials of Fovista in combination with Lucentis on Friday after the close of markets. To state the obvious, we were simply stunned at looking at the data from both trials. And that represented the tone of the entire analyst call. It was short. It was uh, somber. Uh, you can listen to yourself if you want to go to optotech.com. You can get a replay there. But uh, there, there were no answers uh, on Favista. Analysts did press a bit to try to get more information about, uh, about Optotech's other Phase three clinical trial with ILEA and also the Phase two trials with Zamora. Uh, but uh, company officials, uh, David Geyer and Samir Patel, were uh, unable uh, to provide any answers as this, uh, as this exchange sort of uh, represents the tone of the uh, of the conversation. So, in reference to the third Fovista trial, the 1004 of Fovista in combination with Avastor and Ilea, as you know, that trial is fully enrolled and ongoing. We haven't made any decision as of now. While we're in the process of further understanding the results of 1002 and 1003, but it is presently continuing um, to uh, be ongoing. Uh, and we have previously said that those results would be in the second half of 17. We plan to update the investor community when we have more information to report. Uh, as far as the Phase 2 through Zamora program for dry AMD, the Phase 2 wet AMD Zamora program, uh, those obviously remained um, on track and unaffected. Uh, we are uh, continuing to assess the impact of the Phase 3 results on operational, financial, and development matters, and we plan to update the investment community when we have more information to report. And that was the general message of the call, that uh, off-the-tech executives needed more time, needed time to review the data before they were going to make any commitments to uh, the program going forward. I did reach out to uh, a few Optitech analysts. I wasn't able to get anyone on the podcast, but I had a, uh, a quick call with uh, Yigal Nachimovitz of Citigroup, and uh, yeah, he expressed, uh, obviously, disappointment in the results. He and others had anticipated, uh, anticipated better news. And uh, sort of uh, I asked uh, sort of what's next for, uh, for Optitech, and he just said beyond today there's uh, not a whole lot to say. And he noted that the company is now trading for under cash. Uh, in fact, this is this is me speaking. That uh, this morning on Wednesday morning, it's uh, trading. Its market cap is at about 170 million dollars. Optotech executives uh, said they had 321 million dollars in cash and no debt. So uh, Yigal Nochimovich said that uh, basically inv investors aren't really placing much value 
in the rest of Optotech's pipeline. Optotech's stock dip certainly took its impact on the uh, OIS index that we released at uh, OIS at AAO in October. Uh, we'll have a chart in the Eye on Innovation newsletter, so you should uh, definitely take a look at that. And we'll also be sending out more expanded reports in our new OIS monthly publication that's coming out in January. But uh, if you look at the uh, the results at the end of uh, close of business day yesterday, Optitech stock had dropped uh, 85.9%, and uh, the impact on the index was a drop of uh, 5.8%. So uh, there are some other negative movers in there, and we'll have them in uh, in the newsletter. But uh, just clearly shows uh, the the broader impact that this news not only had on patients and physicians in ophthalmology, but also on the market itself. But what does this mean for the rest of ophthalmology? Not the publicly traded issues, but the companies themselves. We uh, talked to uh, a couple of great analysts, friends of OIS, uh, Ronnie Gall of uh, Sanford Bernstein and Adnan Butt of RBC Capital Markets and uh, just talk to them about what the impact would be uh, on the field and specifically on the companies they cover. We'll, uh, we'll first talk to uh, Ronnie Gall and uh, he'll talk a bit about uh, what this means for Regeneron and uh, Novartis and another company he, uh, he covers, uh, Allergan. From the corporate perspective, um, what I would say is it's a, a little bit of a relief for for Regeneron, which some people expect that there will be an attempt to bundle Lucentis with Favista by Novartis. So there's a bit of a risk reduction for that. It also positions their a second-generation drug, Eng2, uh, uh, the target there, uh, as the potential uh, only complementary drugs to VEGF, which obviously puts them in a better marketing position, although I would still argue people will pick the VEGF of their choice first and then, if needed, add a second complementary drug to it just by practicing conservative medicine. Mm -hmm. So to some extent, it's a a benefit for them strategically from that perspective, Um, although I would argue the biggest issue facing us right now in terms of drug selection is is whether RTH-258 from Novartis and uh, the DARPEN from Allegan will be successful, and we'll know that answer is probably in mid-17 and, and mid-18, respectively. If those products are longer acting than um, than uh, the current product we have, uh, notably Alia, they will probably have interesting market share. And then behind those, behind, behind those two stands the buyer similar to... Um, uh, to Lucentis, which is currently slotted to enter the market somewhere between mid-19 and the end of 2019. So we could be in a position where we will have a, a market with several improved options on the VEGF side plus the low-cost option, approved low-cost option by the end of the second. And next we'll visit with uh, Adnan. We talked to Adnan at OIS at ASRS. He appeared on one of our uh, on one of our panels, they're talking about combination therapies. So it was uh, a timely interview, uh, both uh, at ASRS in San Francisco, but also, of course, in regards to this call. And, and Adnan also covers Regeneron. And, and in, in this conversation, uh, Adnan sort of hits upon something that uh, a few others have, have tapped on, as to whether or not the existing products we have for Wet AMD, whether they have established uh, 
just a really high bar for new therapeutics to clear. Let's have a listen. A couple of things to keep in mind. First, um, you know, the goal remains to improve vision in patients, and that's something that, that both companies and doctors will keep trying to, to find in different ways. So I'll remind you, I'll remind people listening that uh, Regeneron had two programs. First was the combination with anti-PDGF. Then they also have two phase two studies ongoing, combining ILEA with anti-ANG2, which is something that at the at the August event, uh, the panel of physicians that we were on with showed a lot of excitement about. So combination therapy should still be of interest and then we'll get more on whether how well combinations work or don't work sometime next year when those studies read out. As for ILEA, you know, I think it just shows that it's a pretty high bar for, for given how well these anti-VEGFs on the market work for combinations to, to get over. Um, ILEA presumably is even more potent than Lucentis, hence comparing something to ILEA would be an even more difficult bar. But near-term commercially, at least, what's... Uh, What's uh, bad for patients, but but what's good for ILEA commercially is that their um, marketing and commercial efforts at least should not be disrupted because there's no new competitor coming on and, and shifting market dynamics in any way. Why don't we take this conversation off of Wall Street and out of the boardroom and uh, put it in the doctor's office where it probably belongs? I had the chance to speak with Dr. Praveen Dougal of Retinal Consultants of Arizona. He's, of course, uh, he's a regular OIS. He's a uh, regular clinical meetings working with companies like Ophthotech, like Opthea, which is uh, coming up with a new combination therapy for wet AMD. And uh, I basically asked him what his takeaway was from, uh, from Monday morning's news. You'll have to excuse the audio quality. The only chance we had was to talk was when he was in a car. But I think you can make out his, uh, his larger points. And despite the, uh, the shock and disappointment that he shares, he does manage to uh, to walk away with a, a kind of holistic positive uh, about the results. Let's have a listen. The first reaction that I had uh, was probably similar to a majority of my colleagues, which was uh, shock and disappointment. Uh, shock in the sense that uh, we all, I think, thought that this was going to be the very first combination therapy to prove successful. In fact, uh, all the uh, the entire history of, uh, of this product has suggested that. So, so that's the shock. Uh, the disappointment really is for our patients because uh, it would be ultimately our patients who would get to benefit. And uh, we really thought, I think, that we had something uh, that uh, that could go the next step beyond anti-VEGF-A monotherapy in our hands. So I think that was my first reaction. Um, but I got to tell you, after that, I kind of took pause, stepped back, and, and there are two immediate thoughts that came to mind. Uh, the first thought, and maybe the most important thought, is that, you know, our scientific system works, and that's the most important thing. There's, as frustrated as we get at the FDA sometimes, um, there is a very, very good reason that the FDA requires two prospective multi-center parallel trials for registration. Uh, it's exactly uh, the reason uh, that uh, we want, it's exactly what we want them to do, which is uh, to be able to allow us data-driven uh, 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 paradigms. And uh, at the end of the day, we go where the data leads us. And if it wasn't for something like that, meaning a rigorous scientific trial, 
I think of all the other things that we thought would have worked in phase one and phase two that we would have done now if it wasn't for the phase three rigor that we all have to undergo. So that's the, that's the first uh, that's the second thought that I had after my pause, which is that the system actually worked exactly the way it's supposed to, and that we should all be driven by scientific data, and the system forces that, which is exactly what we want. Another point Praveen Dougal made, and others made as well, uh, has to deal with the, the actual effectiveness of VEGF or anti-VEGF uh, treatments for wet AMD. They, they have been effective. They, they have done a great deal of good. And uh, they've, they've raised uh, the bar fairly high, uh, high enough that it's uh, been difficult for new players in this space uh, to clear it. Let's hear again from Praveen Dougal. So we all believe, we all believe, uh, maybe painfully so, that we've reached a ceiling effect of anti-VEGF monotherapy. You know, it made me realize just how high that ceiling is. It is actually very difficult to get an incremental benefit to anti-VEGF A monotherapy. Yes, it's reached the ceiling. We all understand that. But again, that ceiling is pretty darn high. And Praveen Dougal finally raises a point that many are asking. It's basically, what, what's the future of this target? What's next for uh, PDGF? Uh, Ronnie Gall from uh, Sanford you know, suggests that uh, basically the two, two strikes in your route. We've had two disappointing trials from Optotech. We had uh, the, the negative 12-week results that uh, Regeneron introduced in October. And uh, it's, uh, it's tough to make an argument that uh, PDGF is a, uh, a viable target to, uh, to treat wet AMD. Let's hear what uh, Praveen Dougal has to say on this. The next question then becomes, well, what happens to this target? Uh, and when you look back at what was done, there's good scientific evidence for doing what was done. I don't know how things could have been done differently. All the point three clinical studies were, were very encouraging and driven by previous scientific work, which pointed in that direction. The phase one studies were encouraging. The phase 2B study was the largest ever done with 449 patients. And no matter how you spiced it, the directionality was maintained. And so it absolutely gave us rationale for doing the phase three studies. So in retrospect, uh, you know, I don't think anything different would have been done, and it was all scientifically driven. But now, We've got two very good companies, Regeneron and Optotech, that have missed on the same target. So what does that say about the target? Um, well, the biology hasn't changed. All the decades of work haven't changed. Um, and I don't know. Does that mean that that target is no longer valid? Um, well, you know, science would say that's not the case because that science hasn't changed. But yet again, we've got two very, very good, very reputable companies with excellent trials uh, that have failed. I think that's something that we that will take time for us uh, to reevaluate. So, what does this mean for companies, younger companies, startup companies that aren't pursuing PDGF but have some alt- alternative approaches to uh, treating wet AMD? There, there's clearly an opening. Uh, we looked at a, a report uh, issued by an analyst uh, from Wilson's on uh, Uptia, which is publicly traded in Australia. And uh, it's the, the report starts, uh, the headline is, Retaining Buy as Another Major Rival Falls in the Clinic, and that's a buy on Uptia. And the report uh, opens up with Uptia's most important rival in the space to develop combination therapies for wet advanced macular degeneration has failed in Phase three clinical trials. The pathway to commercial partnering and development for Uptia's OPT302 product is thus much clearer. 
Although Favista's failure is a blow for the wet AMD field to absorb, we do not see the major wet AMD companies stepping away from pursuing the combination approach. So that clearly, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but we, I asked Ronnie Gall the question, if this sort of opens the door for uh, startups in the space, if, if larger companies are going to be uh, looking more aggressively for new solutions. And uh, his response was interesting. Let's have a listen. Well, I would argue <laughs> the large companies will basically buy or already set to buy anything that looks promising in, in wet AMD and, and I think will continue to do so. I think the rate limiting step is not really consideration of what, what other therapies might be approved, but much more on the issue of do you actually have a quality lead? Um, and, and I think that's, that will continue to be um, the limiting step. Um, is the failure of Vista somehow enhancing their positioning? Probably, but only a little bit. I think the quality of the data is the determining fact. If anything, if anything, I would argue it might be the other way around, which is the failure of Vista after what people describe as a very promising phase two um, uh, kind of suggests that we need to actually test the drugs in a full-blown large trial, or large trial before we can get any confidence that those mechanisms of action are successful. And that's, and that's you know, every, it's a double-edged sword, right? On one side, you reduce the number of competitors that you're facing. On the other hand, we now know to be a bit more skeptical of early-stage trials. So the bar will be higher for startups developing new treatments for wet AMD. Uh, but there's another approach as well, the one we're seeing. It's a development of new ways of delivering existing drugs to the back of the eye. Uh, we've seen a number of uh, deals of late. Ocular Therapeutics, of course, probably has the largest one. It signed a uh, $300 million plus uh, re- uh, deal with Regeneron. They would collaborate on the development of sustained release formulation of Dr- Regeneron's uh, VEGF trap, a Flibercept. And uh, we're seeing Aerie, of course, is moving into the back of the eye. It's got uh, AR13154. And uh, it's going to be looking for ways to deliver that to the back of the eye. Also, Graybug, uh, it's a company that is taking a, uh, an oncology drug and is trying to uh, enroll it, well, is enrolling it in phase one, two trials and uh, testing it as a potential treatment for wet AMD. We talked with uh, Jeff Cleland. He's the president and CEO of Graybug. Just a little bit about the uh, off the tech news and, uh, and the impact it has on other uh, other clinical programs that are or other companies with clinical programs that are trying to treat wet AMD. So let's uh, let's have this visit with Jeff Cleland, president and CEO of Graybug Vision. All right, Jeff, well, we're we're tracking the news from uh, from Optitech, uh yesterday. Now the uh, the phase three results uh, clearly a lot of disappointment in the sector from from physicians, uh, obviously from investors. Uh, and, and getting input from uh, others in the space. I don't want to say competitors, but others who are sort of targeting the wet AMD space. Uh, what was your uh, What was your takeaway from the results? Any is it a positive for Graybug? A negative? A neutral? Uh, how do you see it? No, great question. I think um, you know the one thing that we've been focused on um, from the very beginning with our program has always been about the uh, duration. Of exposure, and if you look at the the current um, market research that was done even recently by AAO, uh, the, the number one demand by physicians and, and patients alike is trying to deliver something for a longer period of time so that you can reduce the treatment burden. 
and we really feel that is the key advantage of our our product and that we're leaning with um, you know for our extended release formulation and so I think whether or not it hits PDGF is um, less critical. I mean, it would be great to have potential better efficacy, but we think we can at least match um, anti-VEGF activity and have to do it only twice a year, which we think is the key. So, so whether or not the PDGF uh, target is uh, borne out, and you know, the, the jury is still out, even though there's been a, a few, right. two strikes against it, you're confident right. that with the VEGF uh, uh, contact and the way you're delivering it. You've got a you've got a potential winner there. Exactly, and I think the other advantage is that unlike um, the ligand-based approaches, you know the uh, Lucentis, Ilea approaches, where they're targeting picking up uh, free-floating VEGF that's in the circulation or in the eye, we are actually selectively targeting the receptor and at the receptor level. So it's going to be independent of the amount of ligand that's present. So we think we have potentially just on that benefit alone. And targeting the VEGF receptors, we we potentially have a you know, significant benefit over those other treatments. And in addition to the duration story that I mentioned, and the longer duration of exposure. So, when news of this uh, size comes out, uh, it can uh, can lead to some long memories from strategics who uh, <laughs> yes. who are interested in this space. Well, how does this impact you? On one hand, you could say you know this is a potential competitor. Um, uh, at least temporarily, possibly longer, just uh, out of the picture. Uh, so it opens up doors for, for smaller companies. On the other hand, uh, the bigger companies might say, we want a lot more data now before we're doing any kind of deal with anybody after seeing what we just saw. What's your, yeah. uh, what are your feelings? No, I think it's a great point. I think that um, the key is always, um, from what I was taught even my early days in my career at Genentech, is you, you need to do uh, very rigorous, well-designed studies um, and generate data that's reproducible in order to be successful um, in, in development of drugs. And so that's what our focus is in our study designs that we have, um, you know, for the phase one and the phase two program, uh, and in particular the phase two that we're planning to do could become a pivotal study. So we think, you know, there's upside potential there, um, and, if, and study size we're doing is large enough that we could actually um, skip a step and go straight to a second phase three. Um, so we're not... We're not taking the the shortcuts that maybe some. I'm not saying everybody does that, but some people do take uh, shortcuts, um, and I don't think that's the right way to do drug development. I think we need to raise the right amount of money, do the right studies, and that's what we're doing. I'd like to end this podcast once again with the physician perspective, specifically uh, my conversation with Praveen Dougal, which was uh, which was great. I asked him two questions. Number one, as a clinician who's involved in clinical trials, who knows what's going on out there. What products have him most excited? And then the second part of my question, and we'll just run the whole tape. You can hear the question uh, itself, is I really wanted to understand how physicians view the demand for new products. On one hand, we're saying that existing products are very effective. On the other hand, we're saying there's a a great demand for better products or improved products. And uh, Praveen Dougal reconciles those two positions very well. To to me, I think... Uh, the 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 most exciting thing right now, which is which is the closest perhaps, uh, is the uh, Roche Genentech molecule, which is the bispecific bispecific product, uh, which is the RG product uh, VA2. Um, again, I, I say that because uh, the preliminary studies have been very very encouraging. Uh, I also say that uh, because the um, 
the molecule is so beautifully designed. Um, you know, you've got a bispecific product, not not a co-formulated product, but a bispecific product, meaning that the, the clearance rate is the same uh, for both arms, uh, where one arm is an anti-VEGF-A uh, and the other arm is an anti-ANG-2, uh, held together with the FC portion that has two mutations. You know, one mutation is to uh, decrease the systemic exposure and the other mutation is to decrease the inflammation or the effector cell function. Again, just beautifully designed for ophthalmology. So uh, I'm very, very encouraged uh, by what, what that may show. Uh, the other one is uh, the, the small company, Optea, which has a uh, anti-VEGF C and D product allowing for combination treatment with an anti-VEGF A, so pan-VEGF inhibition. We know that there are patients are fairly resistant to anti-VEGF-A monotherapy, and the hypothesis is that giving anti-VEGF-A may upregulate VEGF-C and D. So again, the pro preliminary studies have been encouraging. Uh, it, it makes sense from a scientific point of view. Um, I think uh, it, has, it, has, uh, it, it, has, it has had some encouraging results. So for wet AMD in particular, those are the products. I also don't want to forget the Regeneron co-formulated pro product, which is an anti-ANG2 uh, with a with ILEA, it's, it's a co-formulation, um, and uh, again, that would also seem to make scientific sense. So I, I do think that we have things in the pipeline uh, that are quite encouraging. But remember that the, the um, and then that doesn't even include the devices that we have. There's the latter study going on with uh, the long-term delivery system that Genentech have, has. There are other nanotechnology that are being developed as well. So uh, remember that the, the bar, uh, I used to say the bar is, is fairly low, but, you know, obviously it is not. The bar is quite high, but there are really two shots on goal. Uh, you know, one shot on goal is to develop a product or a device that will increase durability. Uh, alone, you know, you have a product uh, that will be used. Uh, the other bar is to increase efficacy. If you increase efficacy, obviously efficacy is king, and that product will be used. If you have something that can do both, you know, you've got a, you've got a home run. So um, there are lots of opportunities there for improvement. Terrific. And just, I don't want to take too much time. One more question, though. Just, we, I, I no, do, no problem. I, take your time. I got time. I do tend to, to think in abstracts and in, in, in financing and business deals and clinical trials. But as a, as a physician, I mean, how dire, is, how dire is the need for something new? Uh, how many patients are you dealing with that are, uh, either hitting the wall or hitting the ceiling or, or frustrated and, and really need a new product to, to come in. Can you just sort of characterize the situation for me? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it sounds almost like a, you know, Tom, it almost sounds like a contradictory statement where on the one hand I say we really need something badly and we've hit the ceiling and the bar is low and durability and efficacy and everything else. But on the other hand, I'm saying, well, wow, that ceiling is really high. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, and it sounds like, uh, you know, these are contradictory statements. But it's really important to understand that they're not contradictory statements. They're not contradictory statements because the delta that we have currently between clinical trials and real life has never been greater. In other words, we are simply unable to do uh, what clinical trials tell us to do in real life. And, and that is the real danger, I see. That delta is the real danger. And so let me give you an example. Clinical trials in macular degeneration, wet macular degeneration, for instance, 
uh, have shown that that ceiling of anti-VEGF-A monotherapy is really high. That's true because clinical trials are done in a very artificial setting where patients are extraordinarily motivated. They come in not every month, but every four weeks. And these clinical trials usually last for a year or two years. And that bar or that ceiling indeed is very high. But in real life, that's simply not the way it works. Patients can't come in every four weeks. And patients live for 10 to 15 years after the diagnosis of wet macular degeneration. So when you look at what happens in real life, um, the, 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 the sustainability of our treatment regimen is simply not possible. The number of injections that patients are getting is half of what they should be getting in real life. The other part of it is there isn't a single study, and this perhaps is the most impactful, there isn't a single study that, has, that lasts in real life for more than four years that shows anything but decline of vision in patients with wet macular degeneration to beneath baseline. I mean, just think about that. Mm-hmm. These patients live for 10 to 15 to 20 years, but there's not a single study that shows sustained benefit for more than four years. So just think of that delta between clinical trials and real life. And think of the opportunity that we have in real life for improvement of visual acuity um, and efficacy early and sustainability of the treatment strategy and sustained improvement of that vision over the lifetime of the patient. Well, that is a wrap. Uh, I think this is an excellent way to end our uh, podcast season for 2016. Uh, This is number 115, and uh, I'm really, really grateful to have the opportunity to to host this podcast. Uh, There are so many people I would like to thank just quickly, uh, Emmett Cunningham for his his guidance, Craig Simak for giving me the opportunity to do this, Uh, Mario Escamilla, our producer, who has has his work cut out for him with this podcast. There's a lot of elements to these podcasts Uh, you you wouldn't really uh, appreciate that. how many different interviews and commentaries uh, have to be weaven, woven together to uh, to make this work? So uh, thank you to the folks on the Healthogy side for giving me uh, the opportunity to do this. And uh, thanks, of course, in particular for this podcast to our guests. Uh, I spoke to many people. Not everyone made it uh, into the podcast, and uh, that's just a matter of, of time for me. I was trying to get this out in a timely manner. But I spoke with Adnan Butt, Jeff Cleland, Praveen Dougal, Ronnie Gall, Casey Kopchensky from ARI, Yigel Nachamovich from uh, Citigroup, Amar Sani, and uh, Jason Slachter of OR, and Amar, of course, is from Ocular Therapeutics. They're all great members of the OIS community, and uh, I have to say, when I put the call out to uh, talk to people for these podcasts, I get great responses. So that, uh, that just tells me that uh, you folks, our listeners, are appreciating these podcasts, and I'm very appreciative of you for for listening again this has been a a great opportunity we look forward to bringing you many more of these in the new year and uh always willing to uh to to bring in new features or or new ideas so you can do many things to uh to reach out to us the easiest would be to uh, give us a a ranking on whatever oi whatever podcast platform you're listening to and uh give some comments as well we'd love to hear how we're doing uh, feel free also to uh, shoot me an email. My email is tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy is the company that uh, that produces OIS and produces our OIS content. So it's tom at healthogy, the word health, 
followed by the letters egy.com. And finally, a great way to help us is just spread the word. If you have a colleague who likes innovation in ophthalmology as much as you do, please tell her or him about the podcast. We'd love to have more listeners. So this has been a fantastic year. Thank you again. Happy holidays to all of you and a happy new year. We look forward to bringing you more OIS podcasts in January. And of course, I very much would love to see you all at uh, one of our OISs coming up in 2017. Again, this is Tom Salemi, host of the OIS podcast, content director for Healthogy, signing off for 2016 and uh, wishing you uh, a very great new year.